A very warm welcome to PinPods, the podcast that hopefully networks our Pinnacle Network. I'm Helen Parker, the CEO. I often have interesting conversations with people who are developing how they deliver their services, challenging the status quo, or critically thinking about primary care from different perspectives. And the podcast is to share these conversations with you. Thank you for listening. If you or someone you know would make for interesting listening, let me know and my microphone will travel. Today I'm in conversation with Wendy Harris, who is the business manager at Cambridge Medical Centre. Wendy has recently become uh, an owner of the medical centre and I thought it'd be really interesting to hear how she came into general practice and why she decided to move from being the practice stroke business manager to an owner and what that experience has been like for her. I'm delighted to welcome to the PinPods podcast this morning, Wendy Harris, who is an owner of uh, Cambridge Medical Centre, but not a GP. And in my travels around the network, I've spoken to a few practice managers, business managers, and asked them about their interest in ownership. And often what I get back is, well, I can't be because I'm not a GP, or I don't think I'm good enough to do that. Or I don't think the GPs would even entertain the idea. So I thought it'd be really interesting to speak to Wendy and um, hear from her, her journey into ownership, her experiences and what uh, benefits she thinks it's brought to the practice as a business and as a provider. So welcome, Wendy. Thanks for giving up your time. Um, just tell us a bit about your background and how you got into general practice. So I started off my working life in youth work, so down in Dunedin, um, working with the Salvation Army down there with um, young adults and teenagers. And then I moved up to Auckland and started a role as a community support worker in the, with the mental health service. So working with adults who had mental illness but wanted to successfully live in the community. Um, then I decided to start a family and so um, it was a good opportunity to start my own business. So I actually started a little business um, doing policy and procedure development um, for mainly SMEs. Uh, and through that, I um, got a role as a business tutor at Tewānanga Aotearoa, teaching um, business studies. And um, through that, met um, Leslie Ann, um, who was an HR consultant, who I eventually ended up going and working with. So I had a role with her um, as an HR consultant. And that's how I came to know Cambridge Medical Centre, because they were a client. Ah. Yes. And he yeah. could turn poacher. Yes. Yeah. So you're. So how long have you been at Cambridge Medical Centre? So this is my fourth year now. Right. Yeah. So so relative for those of us that have been around primary care a very long time, relatively new. But you yes. obviously got some. You've obviously got the business skills and HR skills. Yes. Yeah. So what I'm often interested in is people who have experienced general practice from a patient, and particularly a mum with um, young kids, and um, who then. Uh, become employed in general practice and they so they, they see things from the other side was there anything that surprised you yeah pretty much everything <laughs> yeah because I thought oh yeah I've got a I've got a good understanding of business you know this this won't be too difficult and I'd worked with Cambridge Medical Centre 
um, you know, in a consultancy role. Um, but when you're actually in there, it's quite a different story. And I think the, the biggest thing was the, all of the terminology. Yes. There is a lot of jargon that yes. people use. And when you're not um, in there, you have got, haven't got a clue. And I sat in many a meeting not knowing what on earth was going on, but just trying to pretend like I knew what was going on. So that was, that was a big thing. And um, probably politics of it, of it as well, you know, having to really learn where general practice fits in the big scheme of things with the PHO and the DHB and the ministry um, and everything that goes on from a contractual perspective and that it's ever-changing. You know, you kind of think, all right, this is what general practice does. They deliver services to patients. Yes. Actually, there's a whole lot of stuff going on in the background all the time that's ever-changing. So it was took a while to get used to the fact that it was never going to be static. It was always going to be a moving beast. Yeah. yeah. And, and then Cornerstone. So when I arrived at the practice, they were about to go into Cornerstone. So that was my first job. So... Um, that was huge, but in some ways a really good way to really learn about what goes on in a practice because we decided to start again, chuck everything out and rewrite everything. So, Because uh, you're, yeah, you're quite a, a big practice, aren't you? How many patients are around? 11,000 Yes, in the yeah. centre of Cambridge, yes, um, so near Hamilton. Practice, yeah. mm. So what sort, how did you, how did you navigate that those politics of healthcare. So we, we have turned three-letter acronyms into an art form. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and we, could, we can't even develop any new structures unless there's a, a, a nice three-letter acronym. How, you know, what support did you have or how did you even start to find your way around it? Uh, one of the biggest things was um, meeting with other practice managers and business managers. So um, at the time um, when I first started, there was a number of new practice managers and so um, Nikki, who was my yes. practice support yeah. at um, Pinnacle, set up like a little support group, um, which was really good because we were sort of help each other and share ideas with each other. So that was the biggest thing. Um, but the staff as well, and they, were, they were really helpful. We did have a number of new staff at the time too, so kind of supported one another. Mm. Yeah. Sometimes when I've spoken to new practice managers who have come in, particularly from a, a, a different business world, um, they understand and are relatively comfortable with the business and managing staff. Um, but what is new to them is being at that patient interface, and um, particularly with patient complaints. Mm. Um, how did you how did you find that? I didn't um, find that too difficult and I think one of the reasons was because I worked in mental health for a long mm. time and so I was really used to working in quite difficult situations with um, challenging behaviour um, so yeah and, and also with my HR background um, I didn't find it too difficult to just kind of okay what is, what's the story you know what are you telling me how can we find a yes. solution for yes. this because yes. um, that's kind of my approach to everything really is that um, it's never as bad as it first seems and there's always a way of, of figuring this out and making parties happy you know, mm. for the most part, <laughs> yeah. And how do you, before we just come on to um, you becoming an owner of the practice, um, I've seen over the last few years particularly and particularly with the the increased amount of data that comes into a practice, like you say, some of the complex financial um, flows with either within internally within a practice or coming into a practice. I've seen the role of um, 
the traditional practice manager and often people coming up through the mm. receptionist admin route and many practices moving into a, um, a formal business manager role that is actually managing the business as opposed to um, staff and reception. Um, how do you see the role developing? The reason why I came into it, and I think this is where a lot of practices are going, and certainly in talking to other practice managers, is that um, GPs traditionally did everything. Like They saw the patients, they managed the practice, they managed their own finances, and that they don't want to do that. And it makes sense to bring in a practice manager to actually do that. Mm. Um, and so, I mean, I've been fortunate in that um, the management team, the directors that I work with, have allowed me to do that. They're like, here, it's your job, you run everything, yeah. you manage everything. Um, and I think if you're given the freedom to do that, mm. um, then that's a good thing. But it does mean that you have to be um, very rounded in terms of your knowledge and skill base. Mm. Um, yeah. So was it was there anything when you were thinking about how the role was developing and and what sort of mm. skills you think um, people moving um, into that practice manager or particularly a, a more business manager focused roles? What do you think are some of the skills that you need? Yeah. Uh, you definitely have strong financial skills. Yeah. Um, so I mean, I put the budget together, so if you have been, you know, if that's part of your um, job description to do that, you really do need to have good financial skills and, and understand about cash flow, be able to mm. put a budget together and be able to work um, closely with the accountant and understand yes. um, all of that analysis part of it. Um, I definitely think HR skills is a big part yeah. of it. I do spend a lot of my time just, you know, managing people, whether that's patients or staff. Yeah. And um, if you can build a really good team, that's going to help with everything else. Um, contractual stuff, so the ability to be able to read through contracts and understand them, because um, there's a lot of legal um, terminology, so making sure you can kind of read through the fine print and really know what that means. Mm. Um, and to have a good understanding of the health industry in general. Um, so like I said before, it's changing all the time, yeah. so you really need to um, be able to keep on top of it and to understand what that means for your own practice. Yeah. You know, because what the ministry is doing at their end um, <laughs> takes a while to kind of filter down and they don't necessarily think through what that actually means for general practice and what that means for the end patient. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So you mentioned earlier about, um, you know, when you first uh, went into Cambridge Medical Centre that you started to network with other practice managers that were close by who are also new to the role. And, often, you know, what I see um, moving around practices is those practice managers that network um, quite a lot and those that actually are quite isolated. And you can mm. often you can often tell the difference um, between the, the amount of information that they've got, how well they feel supported, about how they test and try doing things a different way. However, there is a... There is that competitive nature within mm. general practice, isn't there? There's yes, always the, yeah. um, there's always a bit of a tension, um, and I wonder how 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 do you navigate that in your in your network meetings? Is there a thing? Well, I'm not going to share that, but oh, I might share that, but I'm not going to share that. Or are you, are you relatively open? I think we're relatively <laughs> open. I mean, I don't think you're going to sort of share your a strategic plan with the, um, you know your competing practice. 
Uh, but at the end of the day, we're all um, there for the same thing, which is to provide really good health care for our patients. Uh-huh. And it can be really challenging, particularly if you're having problems with your patient management system or you've got quality targets that no matter what you seem to do, you're just not able to um, achieve them. So being able to share ideas with other practices to see what they've done is really beneficial. And, um, you know, you've got to do the best that you can do at your practice and just hope that your patients stay with you. So, you know, even though you're competing essentially with other practices, patients have the choice to go where they want to go. So you've just got to do what you do really well. Yeah, no, yeah. That's, that's yeah. right, that's right. So um, let's talk about how you got into ownership. Okay. Um, so you've been with the practice four years and you've been an owner for how long? A year. A year. So three. Years. So three. So that's that's. I think some people listening to the podcast might think, "Wow, that's quick." Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was quick actually. Yeah. So what you did? You did you take a look at the um, other owners and directors and say, "Well, I think they need someone like me as one of their owners." Or how did that? How did that so journey happen? How it actually happened was that the founding GP was looking to retire, mm. and so um, the other directors were looking at a succession plan and who they might want to have by into the practice and they actually asked me if I would consider buying into it. Oh, right. yeah. And had you considered it, had you thought about um, it before? The first year there's absolutely no way because I was so traumatised by coming <laughs> into junior practice and <laughs> doing cornerstone and all of that that I, I wouldn't have said um, yes at that point. But um, yeah, I mean I, I really enjoy working there mm. and so it, it made sense to consider it as an option, definitely, yeah. Mm. So so what sort of things did you think about when you were thinking about the responsibility of becoming an owner as, a, as an employee? I mean, did you, do, for example, do research on... Um, I guess you'd know the business fairly well yeah, anyway. Yeah. But So there's probably two major parts for me. So one was that it needed to be a good investment. Yeah. Contributing financially, I needed to make sure that um, that it was a, a solid yeah. investment for me, um, and my you know my husband had a say in, in that as well. Um, and the other part of it was around um, values, really. Yes. Um, you know, is this um, are, are the other owners? Um, do they kind of share the same values and same goals that I, that I do? You know, what do I? Um, where do I see this practice going? What do I want yes. to achieve in this practice? And do I think that I'm going to be able to do that um, as an owner? Will it make a difference? Do I feel like the other owners will partner with me? Yeah, so I think that's the other big part of it. Yeah. And, how, and now that you've been an owner for a year, is it what you expected it to be? Is, is your role changed at all? Do you feel differently about the practice? or The own... My role hasn't changed, and my relationship with the um, with the management team is the same. But I definitely feel more invested. You mm. know, when I decided to um, become an owner, it wasn't for the short term at all. It was definitely, you know, potentially for the next twenty years. Yes, um, and so um, it's interesting. That's, that's the thing. It's their whole investment of um, if I'm now signing up potentially for the rest of my working life. Um, you know, is this something that I see that I can, um, um, a place that I can see myself in for the next 20 years? Um, yeah, am I going to be 
I suppose, professionally challenged yes. um, all of that time. Yes. Yeah. It's interesting you say that because often when I've spoken to GP owners about thinking through succession planning, the ownership of the practice and thinking more widely as than just another GP replacing someone, like you say, someone who's retiring. Sometimes what I get back is, and, and uh, you know, understandably that one of the strengths of general practice is the longevity mm. of the GPs in a practice. You know, they've got relationships, long-term relationships with the patients, and therefore the ownership is quite stable because mm. you haven't got people moving in and moving out. And that if you start to widen that to, say, nurses or to the practice manager, you potentially have owners then that are not going to be there for the long term. But from you know what you've said, that was one of your considerations that you. Yeah, yeah. It, it definitely does change it um, because you need GPs to have a successful practice. Mm. You know, and um, if you can have GPs that are there for a long time, then that really helps with patient relationship and patient staying, and then family staying, etc. So I can kind of understand why some GPs might not think about bringing in non GPs into ownership. Uh, but you can factor those things in. Just because a GP um, isn't an owner doesn't mean to say that they're not going to provide a long-term commitment to you. And then you have to look at that, I suppose, as part of your recruitment. But there is a risk there. Yes. It's definitely there that if you, um, you know, say if all of your owners were non-GPs and you had this transient GP um, community, then that's a risk for your practice, definitely. Yes. It's probably good to have a balance of both, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. On that topic, sometimes GPs who I speak to who are uh, thinking about ownership and exploring ownership one of the things that slightly puts them off, and particularly if they've got um, a young family, is their perception that as an owner you'd have to work longer hours, that you do you know, work at weekends, do work in the evenings, as opposed to just your salaried contracted hours. Have you found that? Not in our practice, but I think that it would very much depend on how the practice is set up. But um, you know, when we uh, changed the structure to a company four years ago and brought the business manager role in, it was to stop that. So it became the business manager's responsibility to run the practice to take all of that administration off the um, GP owners. Yes. So I think if you've got a really good um, model um, of management and who does what, um, there will always be an element of owners having to do a little bit more work because at the end of the day, it's your business. Yeah. So you should be prepared to go to those evening meetings or sometimes do some work at the weekends. Um, but I think if you've got a good manager in place, you can um, really minimise that extra. It does depend on your structure, though, doesn't it? It does. Yes, yeah, it does. Some practices are still in the partnership model and what you yes. say um, they may have a bit more that they need to do in terms of managing their own um, finances. Yes, and um, um, I was also just going back to what you said about um, one of the things that you looked for was the, do you share the same values? Mm. Um, and as you know, you know from previous conversations that um, we've had, um, when I've been working with practices where there's been some falling out or disagreements between the owners, I invariably find it's it's at, at the root of it is a clash of values. Mm. Um, so I was, 
yeah, interested that you were looking at that. I don't think you always have to agree. No. But I think if ultimately you want the same thing, yes. you can get there in the end. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes. So um, just uh, finally, obviously there's the Health and Disability System Review mm. that's um, been published. Um which um, had some things to say, not, not a huge amount compared to DHBs on the potentially changing the contracting of general practice. What's, what are your views on the future of general practice? What, what do you hope for that might come out of the review or the recommendations implemented? I hope that um, they don't look to um, swallow up general practice into um, like a similar DHB model. I think that there's real value in having general practice privately owned um, because just my perspective is that you then have much more of a community focus. You get to know your people a lot better. Um, there's a real investment into your patient base and your community and, and our concern is that if um, they want to actually um, look at maybe not having private ownership and, be, and dictating a lot more about what each practice does, then you may lose the um, individuality of each practice. Um, the other part of it is I really hope that um, there is still a voice for general practice, whether that's a PHO like it is now with Pinnacle or something um, similar. I wouldn't like to think that we're having to negotiate directly with DHBs. I don't think that will work. And certainly from um, how it's been to this point with um, us feeling that we're not getting our share of the, the funding, oh. um, that there is much more of a focus on secondary um, healthcare um, with the DHB. Um, putting more money into hospitals, that's what it feels for us, um, that I think it would um, be a danger of us losing even more funding. And at the end of the day, frontline healthcare is really where it should be. You know, if you can manage um, the majority of issues of primary healthcare, then that has to help um, the hospital system, it has to help DHBs, yeah. Well, there's a lot of evidence for that. Yeah. So we'd like <laughs> yes. to see more money coming into primary health care because we think we can do a whole lot more. Yeah. GPs are very skilled, and I think sometimes they are um, not valued enough um, by their hospital peers um, when actually they're, they're very skilled practitioners and we can do a whole heap more in general practice if we just had the funding to do so. Well, thank you, Wendy. That's been really interesting. I hope it has encouraged uh, non-GPs um, to think about ownership and maybe some GP owners to think about non-GP ownership. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome.